This podcast may contain explicit language and feel free to use explicit language when you review the gist on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. It's Friday, June 14th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The country of Canada has a lot going for it. Handsome prime minister, an NBA champion in healthcare. But it also has a new initiative to ban single-use plastics, which seems great. Plastic bags, canvas bags, they work great. Plastic water bottles, those are huge ripoffs anyway. They can be easily packaged with things other than plastic. And plastic straws. Oh no. If you listen to the gist, you know I am quite a fan of plastic straws. I find the alternatives to be lacking. And also I know the statistics. Banning plastic straws would do nothing to solve any real problems in the real world because the problem of plastics in the ocean is a problem of 0.03% of oceanic waste. That's right, 0.03% of the plastic in the oceans come from straws. And there is but one silver lining to this. It's that I love making analogies, bringing to life just how small 0.03% is. Do you remember in Act 2, Scene 2 of The Tempest, when Caliban says, thy dog and thy bush, Do you remember that? No, you don't, because it was unimportant. But those five words make up a greater percentage of the overall tempest than do all the straws in all the oceans. Or how about this? The Golden State Warriors did not win, but they did score almost 10,000 total points last season. So take any random game. I I chose the 50th game of the regular season. They beat the Indiana Pacers uh, by 50. They increased their win streak to 11. Uh, Four minutes left in the third. Stephen Curry makes a three-pointer, pushes the score to 90 to 68. What if Steph Curry had missed that shot? I'll tell you, absolutely nothing in the world would change. And that shot, as a percentage of the Golden State Warriors' point total last season, is the same percent as straws in the ocean. Okay, fun with analogies, done. But the question lingers. What do you do, Mike? What do you do about this nationwide ban, which would eliminate bottles and bags, and those are significant. It's good to eliminate them. You know what I would do? You know what I would say? I would say this. Are you ready? I'm in. Sign me up. If doing without straws is part of an overall effort, part of a whole approach, I would make my sacrifice. I would not be a straw scoff law. I can intellectually contextualize it as part of a greater effort and the small sacrifice will be worth it. If I could be on the side of a good society-wide policy where we're all moving in the same direction, I could sell that to myself. Because otherwise, what I'm being asked to do here in America by activists is merely a statistically insignificant bit of virtue signaling accompanied by some beverage dribbling. I am in Wait, do I get to still make my 0.03% analogies? I do? Okay. I am in to this hypothetical policy initiative in a country where I don't live. On the show today, I spiel about Beale. For real, with zeal, she is losing her appeal. But first, the comedian Emmy Blotnick is here to talk about her hard partying lifestyle that includes binging on Wikipedia and massive ingestion of tea. She's out with a new album. It is called Party Nights and it is a keg stand of uproariousness, a funnel of fun. Stock the Pedialyte for tomorrow, because tonight it's Emmy Blotnick and her party nights. 
This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I uh, got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Emmy Blotnick was a longtime writer for Stephen Colbert, a stand-up comic. She has a new album out now, and it has been called The Greatest Album of This Decade. That includes the word osteoporotic. I don't even know if that's a word, but she taught me that it was. Party nights? Yeah. Oh, yeah, which are a thing, right? That's not quite a thing. I mean, I don't do it, but... <laughs> Hello, Emmy. Hi. You know a lot more about the pop singers of the moment than I do. Oh, yes, I do. Yes. Now, <laughs> I know, or I've done a little research, and I know you're a big fan of uh, our our friend, Gary Goldman. Yes. Yeah, this guy's great. Yes, and he's we'll, the introduction on the album. Yeah. He's the, the guy who says the guy? my name oh, at the beginning. Good. I'm very happy about that. So Goldman gives out tips and advice, and one thing he says is, if you have a bit, go deep and do a lot of research. And I don't know if you took his advice, but there are bits like, <laughs> what's his name, the Swedish Oh, Max pop? Martin. You went deep. Like, it's all based on a deep understanding of Max Martin's career. And Max Martin is a 47-year-old Swedish music producer, and he writes and produces all the pop music. I didn't know it was all coming from one guy, but it is. He did all the 90s shit you like, Britney Spears, the Backstreet Boys, all the dry humping classics. And he did some good new stuff, too. He did the last couple of Taylor Swift albums, the Katy Perry Teenage Dream album. Like, this guy is the reason why I've ever tried on a halter top. And... Once I learned that all the music was coming from one guy, it made so much sense. I'm like, oh, this is why every pop song sounds the same. This is why every pop song is like, I'm a little lamb with big old titties. So was that, were you curious first about this guy and then got comedy out of it? Or did your comedy lead you to do more research is my question. With Max Moore, I was super interested in him. I'm like very interested in how pop songs get made because mm -hmm. they're so wormy in your brain that I'm, I, I'm like, what is the, there has to be some formula or some kind of mathematical underpinning to this. And right. there is. Yes. So I just, I read everything about Max Martin and I was like, how do I explain this to people? Because it's, it takes a lot of information to 
to be able to start making the jokes, I guess. Yeah, so, that's right. There's a show, I don't know if it's still going, it was at UCB called Homeschooled, where you'd put together a PowerPoint. And I think I filled like 18 minutes with Max Martin stuff. And I was able to turn it into a bit without the PowerPoint eventually, because people, I think, are interested in how our music gets made. So it's, it's. Um, I do like a deep dive bit. I yeah. like when I you know, get to learn a little something, yeah. if it doesn't feel, you know, the like slip in the pill and the turkey thing. Yeah. Like how you feed a dog, you know what I mean. Yeah, or how you kill a turkey, <laughs> d- depending on how ethical you want to be. Yes, yes. When you when you uh, when you drug a turkey the right <laughs> way. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm tired. Is that tryptophan? Because I've heard I've had that in me. No, you've been poisoned, Tom. And they're all named Tom. Okay, so that's interesting. One of the few, um, although maybe if UCB has this, there are other bits out there. Literally, this started as a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, because oh it God. was like the idea of the show was like teach the audience something you're really interested in. That's, that's kind of idea. obscure, yeah. and people do them about all crazy, you know, specific like uh, fossils of dinosaurs and things like that. So it's, it felt fitting there. Is the Apatosaurus funny? Oh, hilarious, hilarious. The Oh, you got to watch this PowerPoint. (laughs) But uh, the the Max Martin thing is something I am weirdly passionate about. I hadn't read Goldman's tips yet, but I think he's dead on, so. So in the PowerPoint presentation, was there long parts of it, obviously, Obviously, there were jokes throughout, but was everything that you presented in service of a joke or at some point was like, I'd really like to impart this information. If I can, you know, make it funny, great, in fact, necessary, but that's not my primary motivator when you're doing the PowerPoint. No, it's exactly what you, I was like. I need people to know about this. And yes. how do I keep everybody's attention in a comedy show context? Because it's I'm, we're never I'm not going to be a professor or something. So it really was like, let's just make sure there's something funny every step of the way. Huh going through this and uh, I also realized as I was delivering the PowerPoint that I had like a ton of emotion about it, which is always good for comedy bits if you can get passionate and if if you have strong feelings. While I was researching him is when I realized like, oh my, like my whole concept of like sexy womanhood was designed by this guy. Yeah. And that was when I was like, oh my God, I've been brainwashed by a Swedish man. And that was, that was a moment that felt harnessable for other shows. And it goes all <laughs> All the way up to this one, it's like a conspiracy theory. It it's very exciting. Like, yes. And, can, and PowerPoints lend themselves to that if you could lay it out. Basically, you were doing like a Glenn Beck presentation. <laughs> if you could have the red string connecting all the ideas. I've never been compared to Glenn Beck before. Oh, no, he, it's true. If you uh, really analyze your bits, it's true. All I'm those, kind of a Jim Cramer deep uh-huh. down. So. <laughs> Strong by. No, but I hear all those commercials you do for gold. I mean, that's a comparison to Beck. <laughs> So you, I have seen some of your comedy where you talk about your mom's politics. Yes. Which are? Not good. (laughs) (laughs) You mean a free soil Democrat, a mugwump? What do you mean, Emmy? Oh, boy. It's, I mean, she's, so the, it's in the bit, but I, you know, my mom is all the things that Trump It's just crazy that she can support him because she's so many things that he hates. She's a woman. She's a Jew. She's an artist. She's an immigrant. She's a four. I mean, it's just (laughs) insane to be able to... I I don't think she's like a Trump enthusiast anymore, Uh but it's a generational thing. I I was... um, She's an old mom for... I'm 30 and she's, I'm not, I, whatever. She was 42 when she had me. Uh-huh. So, you know, ca- ca- calculate 
on your own time. <laughs> wow, the lengths you will go not to give your mom's age. It's I very know. nice. It's I, don't, I called your... her a four, but I'm like, let's yeah, not. That's right. Okay. It's not your age to divulge. It's I, not your story to tell. I don't know. I don't know what the rules with this are anymore. But I, it's just been, it's been interesting. There's a big generational gap. And so that's been, I've I spent two to some years working on shows that are like, you know, uh, weapons against Trump, basically. So yeah. it's You very... worked on The President Show yeah. and Colbert. And this is my exact question. I don't think comedy is supposed to change minds or I don't even think what I do actually does change minds. But at a certain point, you're feeding Colbert jokes. He's one of the, uh, one of the top uh, critics slash mockers of Donald Trump like it's supposed to you would hope to some degree move the needle not to Trump himself but to the people who are listening perhaps the people who love you the people who have an open mind and are rooting for your success and do you sense that it was just going nowhere like all of those jokes all of that mockery had no effect on your mom I don't think she really tunes in for this stuff like she she liked the president show Mm -hmm. I think partly because um during the tapings of that show between acts, uh, Anthony Antonick, who played Trump, and Peter Gross, who played Mike Pence, would come out and dance wildly to, like, ABBA and, like, just all the music she likes. So <laughs> that was fu- I mean, we had fun, but I don't know if—I I don't know how she feels about— I don't think we're convincing her. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if her beliefs can be moved. Do you think anyone's can? Do you think comedy can move anyone's beliefs or a certain kind can? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I really, like, because prior to working on those two shows, I had only, I had really looked at comedy as, like, a fun distraction, as, like, a way to diffuse some tension and move into absurd territory and have fun. Mm-hmm. And those two shows were more, like, on the offensive uh, in terms of, you know, like trying to attack topics and stuff like that. And I think uh, it's very satisfying if it's what you already believe. I don't know if it has the power to change people's minds. I don't, I hope it does. Right. But how can you know? Did, if not the content, the, uh, I don't want to say discipline to suggest that you don't have a certain discipline when you're writing your bit, but the practice, better word, of doing it every day and churning out so many jokes, even jokes that you know are not going to make it. Did it help the act? Sure. Yes. Yes. I think the beauty of it is, uh, especially with Colbert and the President show, because all the writers there are super sharp, is that there is a huge volume of jokes. A lot of them never see the, uh, the light of day, and you learned not to be precious about any of it. Like you learn not to be like, "But my joke," right? You know, you can just let it go and be like, "There's an infinite well of creative stuff for all of us," and that's a nice way to be. Okay, so one of your uh, one of your tracks on the album talks about your involvement in a tea community. Oh hell yeah, yeah, hell yeah! <laughs> I joined this website called Steepster. Real, real website. Real website, and yeah. so it works. If you're curious, if you're a tea drinker, how it works is you you go and you make an account. Uh-huh. Uh, my username is Steep Doggy Dog. <laughs> if anybody wants to connect, you make an account. You write reviews of all the teas you like, and then nothing happens. It's a pretty cool website. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's working well. So when you review a tea, this comes up in the Westminster Dog Show. It's very hard, I think, to compare a collie to a 
a beagle. Like what you have to do is say, is that being the best collie it could be? Is that beagle being the best beagle? Is it the same with tea? Like it's hard to compare a chamomile to an Earl Grey. They're such different breeds. I, yeah, I think there are some categories. There are some subgenres. You've got your herbals, yeah. black teas. The sporting teas. Sporting teas, <laughs> yeah. yes, perfect. The toy, the toy yeah, teas. Your, pure, your purebred, uh, your chamomiles, your uh-huh. single note. Right. Um, and then there are some funkier ones. I started getting into, there's a type of tea called pu'er that's like a fermented Chinese black tea. Oh. And they sell it at, it, it, in China. Apparently, this, this is something I have Googled before. They sell it in like these nests that go on auction and it can get very expensive. But I just buy the kind they have at Whole Foods and I like it. Yeah. It which probably like isn't malty. cheap either. Does it's it, not cheap. Does it's it settle like your stomach? $9. It seems dangerous. It's pretty highly caffeinated yeah. for a tea yeah. and i would say it's like the guinness of teas mm-hmm. so i like i like the uh, it's a different tea experience if you're a chamomile person buckle up for puer <laughs> <laughs> i was at a coffee website or i thought it was but grinder was not what i expected ah. yeah. no okay so that's not it this is why <laughs> definitely cut that out so no, leave it in. you got to leave it in <laughs> those guys love coffee apparently i don't know what the correlation between coffee and are, but it's there. Oh. Um, so you also talk about how there'll never be a uh, halftime in the Super Bowl commercial about tea, but I want to bring something to your attention, and this is always confused and flummoxed me, and I think you might appreciate this. Can we play it? Football's been an important part of my life. That's when I felt most at ease when I was out there playing. But the work about living a good life starts when you're done playing. You know, I want to live a healthy lifestyle. So that's when I started drinking Bigelow green tea. I love the taste of it. It became part of my routine of life. I'm Phil Sims, and I'm a Bigelow (laughs) tea drinker. What? Yeah. Now, I don't know. Phil Sims, Super Bowl winning quarterback (laughs) for the New York Giants. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have to revise the album. We got to strike the track. I have made a factual error. I am ruined. (laughs) The thing is, it might support your point because he definitely said, after I stopped playing, I started drinking the tea. Like there's still that separation between the actual gridiron and steeping the tea. You know what? I think it's also the music makes a huge difference. If (laughs) this was like birds chirping and some light pan flutes or something like that, we'd be like, this guy is retired as hell. But if it's the sports center music, then you're like, oh my God, this man kicks ass and drinks tea. I think Joe Joe Torre also does commercials for Bigelow Tea. And it's obvious to me that the, the, the boys in corporate said, what's the demographic? we're not reaching because we've got the steepster crowd and they're of a certain type. (laughs) The steepster crowd of one. (laughs) I think I'm the only person on that website. (laughs) So yeah, they like, let's hire some jocks to (laughs) tout tea. That is unbelievable. That's so amazing. I can't believe it. (laughs) Well, I just got to my perfect boiling temperature. Time to get off the field and start (laughs) sipping tea. This is so, wow. What a find. Thank you. Well, it was you. You gave me the inspiration from your new album, Party Nights. Emmy Blotnick is out. You got to check out this album. And she'll be touring all across America. And she plays many dates in New York City at the Comedy Cellar. You can see her yeah. in other places. And I'll be in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival for all of August. Wow. And if you have Irish listeners, I'll be at the Dublin Festival before that. I have to plug these things because the opportunity rarely arises. I'm going around the world. She's going fringy. <laughs> Thank you, Emmy. Great to meet you. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. 
And now the spiel. Jessica Biel is an actress who is married to Justin Timberlake. She has exceptionally high cheekbones, well-defined shoulders, some acting ability, 7.7 million Instagram followers, a few opinions on vaccinations, a line of low-impact sports bras, and a starring role in an upcoming TV show based on the podcast Limetown. One of those things does not deserve any attention. Well, one, the Instagram stat is kind of the definition of attention. But what we should not know is what Jessica Biel thinks about vaccines. We should not know that Jessica Biel visited the state house in Sacramento to advocate for an anti-vaccination position. In a more perfect world, no one in the state house, no elected official would be there to greet her. But even if there was, lots of people go to the state house to meet their elected officials for lots of reasons. This needn't have been in the newspaper. Oh, sure. Jessica Biel says she's not anti-vax, but what she means is she is. She's for bad science that would allow for opt-outs that medical and public health experts warn about. A quote from her Instagram. Quote, I support children getting vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't, shouldn't say, mm-hmm. that's just me. And I also support families having the right to make educated medical decisions for their children alongside their physicians. My concern with, she names the bill, is solely regarding medical exemptions. My dearest friends have a child with a medical condition that warrants an exemption from vaccinations. And should this bill pass, it would greatly affect their family's ability to care for their child in this state. That's not true. I mean, I don't know who her friends are or what their children's situation is, but I do know that medical exemptions are allowed for if they are legitimate and not allowed for if they're not. Here's what happened. There was a big measles outbreak in Disneyland a few years ago, and then California passed a mandatory vaccination law because vaccination levels had fallen too low. At first, after the law was passed, immunizations went up. But then what began to happen is that parents began shopping around for doctors who would grant medical exemptions. And the rate of medical opt-outs quadrupled until the vaccinated were below the CDC recommended level of 95%. And this means herd immunity could be compromised. This is why giving an uninformed celebrity a stage or a microphone on this issue is more dangerous than doing the same thing with any other issue. Tila Tequila believes that 9-11 was an inside job. Who cares? Whoopi Goldberg thinks the moon landing was faked. Have at it. Those beliefs have no bearing on actual, actual reality. But the beliefs of anti-vaxxers do have costs because it takes very, very little to decrease vaccination levels before they get dangerous for everyone. Let's go back to that Beale statement. I also support families having the right to make educated medical decisions for their children alongside physicians. That seems fine. I mean, who wouldn't support a family making a decision? But it's not fine if that decision is not to vaccinate. Who's against a parent making a decision with a doctor? I am. Sciences, the good doctors would be. We're against a seemingly reasonable position because it will imperil other children whose parents aren't so benighted. The viruses had been dying. Now they're back. I mean, it seems reasonable when it comes from the nice page of a beautiful, successful, graceful actress, and she's sliding up to you and whispering, it's for the children. It's for the children. Here is the New York version of that argument. Family's over, Barbara! Family's over, Barbara! Family's over, 
Because New York State passed a similar bill to the one that California is considering, no opt-outs. The sensible science forward states are tackling this issue. Also are some of the more vulnerable states where herd immunity really has been compromised badly. Rural states, West Virginia, Maine, Mississippi. Jessica Biel is on the other side of science. Because really, what does she know about science? You got to see in science. That was Jessica Biel from her TV show, Seventh Heaven. I scoured the archives of Seventh Heaven to find out what expertise Jessica Biel has on children or babies or activism. And I found this episode. It was about her friend, Corey. And guess what happened to Corey? I'm telling you, I think it's totally believable that Corey had a baby. Woo! And you'll never guess how old Corey was when she had that baby. I had a baby when I was 14. Are you satisfied now? 14? Man, motherhood at 14. Wait. How old was Corey when she became a mother? But now, thanks to Maggie, the only thing anyone cares about is that when I was 14, I had a baby. But Jessica Biel's character, Mary, supports Corey, who was a teen mom. In fact, she was a mom, it turns out, in her early teens. And when she was 14, she had a baby. There is nothing in the record that indicates that Jessica Biel knows anything about this topic, and yet she advocates. And this is the disturbing part. She gets attention. Of course she does. She's a celebrity. We have to pay attention. I would prefer that the New York Times and the LA Times turn away from the celebrity imperative in this case and apply a more restrained mode of journalism. It is possible. Media has been mentioning mass shooters' names far, far less than they ever did in the hopes that media contagion won't set in and it won't inspire other shooters. But media contagion is something of an analogy. With measles, diphtheria, rubella, contagion is literally how those viruses live. And they were dying. Diphtheria killed 15,000 American kids in 1921, and then it all but disappeared. Whooping cough was eradicated, which is a blessing, but it wasn't actually a blessing. It was science. And now whooping cough is making a comeback because the people who believe in blessings over science are enabling the resurgence of whooping cough and the weakening of the herd. Of all the dangerous things that irresponsible, unqualified celebrities do, this is the worst one for the rest of us. Normally, I don't believe in canceling anyone for a bad opinion. This is the case when an opinion is actually an action, and like the diseases it is so damn ignorant about, when you're a celebrity, the opinion is contagious. Virulently so. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. They know there's nothing better than when after picking up a sandback blitzing off the edge in a disguise 3-4 look, nothing better than celebrating with an oolong, a darjeeling, or even a lemon zinger. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. There's a lot of Slate Podcasts, and she considers producing them to be something of her baby. I had a baby when I was 14. Are you satisfied now? The gist. Trump hates us too, because we're a four. And not on your classic Apple five-star rating scale. Oomperu de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.